0: Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, September 24th, 2012. I'm Pat Coleman.
1: And I'm Keith McMillan.
0: And the Around the Nation podcast is our weekly tour through the week that was in Division three football and the week that will be uh, for the Around the Nation column here on d3football.com. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm Pat Coleman. Keith is our Around the Nation columnist. And we're uh, you know wrapping up week four of the Division three football season. So if you're just tuning in for the first time, welcome. Glad to have you. Uh, you may have missed a great week in Week 3, but, you know, the good thing is, I guess, uh, or the interesting thing is, Week 4 pretty much wiped all of that out. Uh, we spent a half hour talking about Buffalo State and Wisconsin-Whitewater last week, and Buffalo State kind of dropped itself right back off the map, so to speak, on Saturday with a loss at Alfred by the score of 40-17. to and, and, Keith, you know, I, I ended up listening to most of this game because... You know, frankly, there was never a point at which I could safely tune away from it and pay attention to some of the other early games going on on Saturday afternoon uh, because it was just, you know, so mesmerizing how poorly uh, Buffalo State was doing, especially in the third quarter. Alfred just kind of blew that game open, and and Buffalo State never quite got it put together.
1: Sure. You know, Alfred's only score in the the first half of that game was off a pump block, and then Buff State was up 10-7. And it was 13-10, you know, midway through the third quarter. And then uh, Alfred discovered, or or maybe Buffalo State discovered Chuck Beckwith, which is the fullback for Alfred. He had uh, eight carries on Saturday. Three of them went for touchdowns. He was the uh, the the rushing leader with 177 yards rushing uh, on just eight carries. Averaged 22 yards a carry for Alfred. Uh, you know, clearly at, at some point during the game, Pat uh, Alfred saw something they could exploit. In in for us. Looking at this game, and it was sort of the the focus of the Around the Nation column last week, was uh, you know even though Buff State had had won at the defending champions, right? The three-time defending champs, they won at Wisconsin Whitewater in the previous week. They had the Empire Eight schedule to play, and it, it was going to be rough, you know, right from the very start. Alfred, they have Salisbury next week, and we wanted to see was Buff State for real. You know, I I didn't put them on my top twenty-five ballot last week because I wanted to see could they sustain it. Could they win? You know, was it basically, was the win at Whitewater a fluke or is this a team on the rise? And, uh, you know, from week to week now, we can't really tell who this Buff State team is.
0: Wow. You didn't vote for Buff State last week.
1: I did not. And, uh, because I did the, the three poll breakdown in, um, in, uh, around the nation, you know, I, I didn't do the ATN top 50, but I kind of feel like I, I regretted not revealing that. Uh, I did vote for Brockport State, and, and they turned around and, and lost on Saturday. So um, not not necessarily patting myself on the back for that. I just thought that, um, you know, I, I couldn't vote for Buff State without voting for Brockport because Brockport had beaten them the week before. And, uh, you know, I'd moved, I, I had Buffalo State in the group of teams in the 20s, and uh, every team I sort of kept dropping in front of them. Um, when, when I was putting the ballot together, I, I felt a little better about you know, the Hobarts and the Johns Hopkins uh, of the world, and, the, and those teams um, sustained it. But for me, with, with Buff State, I definitely would have voted for them if they'd been 3-0, and including a win at Whitewater. But because they had that loss the week before at Brockport State, I, I, I needed to see them do it again and, and beat Alfred, and, and it turns out they didn't.
0: Uh, A little more about Chuck Beckwith. He's a guy who was uh, backup fullback uh, for most of the season last year and then uh, only started playing near the end of the season after the starting fullback got hurt. Um, You know, in in listening to the radio, and this is a student radio station, and I know you're you're a big stickler on this point. They were calling it a Wildcat set. Without watching it, you know, we don't know, you know, how much of it is true Wildcat and how much of it is, you know, what – what people like to refer to as wildcat, but don't understand it. Um, but the the thing I wanted to get at also about uh, Alfred and Buffalo state is uh, we go back to what we predicted in kickoff. For example, uh, Alfred we picked to be tied for third in the empire eight and Buffalo state. Uh, we picked them to be one game behind Alfred uh, in a tie for fifth place with Utica, Alfred tied with Ithaca. And you know, I, one result, so far bears that out and, and I don't think that necessarily the landscape of the Empire rate necessarily changes right now
1: no I think you still have Salisbury and, uh, and St. John Fisher as the top two you have Alfred you know which was a playoff team in, in 2009 and 2010 uh, out of that same conference um, you know fighting to to be at the at the top of the conference and then you know, we didn't know exactly what we we're going to get out of Buff State. I think there's Ithaca, you know, trying to bounce back from its first um, losing season in, in 40 years that they had last season. And, uh, you know, that, that's a conference that every coach says this. They say, uh, you know, we could lose any game any week, every every game in our conference it is a tough game but but only about half of them are really being honest with you when uh, they tell you that or or, or a third or a, you know a fraction of them are being honest but i think in the case of the empire 8 they really are being serious
0: and and i could tell you so many times I go through reading a season preview copy and someone refers to the always tough blah 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 conference uh the empire 8 is one of those that that really uh that really deserves that moniker
1: yeah it rose up to number 3 in our ranking of the 27 conferences in kickoff um if, if you didn't buy it, we just gave you a free bonus. And uh, we'll actually be reviewing the conferences uh, in Around the Nation this week coming up. Now that we have you know a month of the season in, we're four weeks into the season. We've got the almost the vast majority of, of the uh, non-conference games have been played. So if there's any change based on what we knew at the end of the playoffs last season versus what's happened over the first month of this season, you know, I'll take a look at that and I'll examine that. I know there's there's some conferences that are off to pretty good starts, and you know, like like the Minnesota, the Mayak is is off to a great start. And then there's other conferences uh, who don't have very many non-conference games, so it's sometimes hard to make too much of their their non-conference results. And, and then there's some conference races that right now are just a little bit, you know, confusing. You, we don't know what we're going to get, um, which makes for fun viewing, but it's also it makes for tough to. Uh, you know, to, to really examine or project. The, the standout stat, going back real quick to, to the Alfred Buffalo State game, to me was the 400 yard, 401 yards rushing for Alfred. And, you know, Beckwith, we mentioned, 177 yards. Uh, he had an 80-yard run, 22 yards per carry. Austin Dwyer, he got the majority of the carries, 22 for 92. And, uh, and then Tyler DeRosa, who, who we remember, I remember seeing him play for Western Connecticut State. He had a 200-yard game when I saw him in a loss. Uh, He only got five carries uh, for Alfred, but he uh, he he made them worth it. 15 yards a carry, 77 yards. And um, you know, anytime you can you can rush for 200 yards, the offensive line feels like it has a good good day. The running game was helpful. You know, if you can rush for 400, um, that that's pretty amazing. And to think Buffalo State now, that they've been on both ends of some really ridiculous numbers. They put up 706 yards of offense against Cortland State. And, you know, Brockport State turns around and puts up big numbers on them. They go out to Whitewater and and hold what has been a dominant offense. And we know a lot of the faces have changed, but hold Whitewater to, to six points. And then you turn around and give up 400 yards to Alfred.
0: We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, Wisconsin Whitewater uh, a little bit later in the podcast. Keith, you mentioned in passing Western Connecticut, and I thought we might not get another chance to go back and talk about the surprise almost win they had. This is a team that now has lost 24 consecutive games, but they have a new coach, and they had uh, Rowan on the ropes. They had Rowan down at halftime, and uh, they were at least in the game in the second half against them.
1: Yeah, I mean, the first thing you, you have to know about Western Connecticut is um, Joe Loth is the head coach there now. He's from the NJAC. He coached at Kane, went out to his alma mater, Otterbein, turned that into a playoff team, and then had an opportunity to to move back to Connecticut, where I believe his wife is from. And uh, so, so now he's back in the same conference that he's he's familiar with. Rowan, you know, um, he this is not necessarily. Um, I I think you know I think sometimes we give coaches too much credit for um, for wins and losses and and you know maybe. Um, the head coach doesn't always have that much to do with it, but I think that this in this case, um, it's probably a little bit of a reflection of, of Joe Loth and, and getting that Western Connecticut program back on its feet. It's, it's a program that you know, in the late 90s and early 2000s, was was a playoff uh team. It, um, you really shouldn't have you know, you, you should be able to recruit there in terms of it being a state school. Um, you know the the type of the 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 type of campus it's on you know i've been there it's um they got really nice facilities for D3 you really shouldn't it really shouldn't be a program that's on a 24 game losing streak and um they had a really great second quarter against Rowan and uh and you know a, a big 65 yard touchdown pass right before the half Put Western Connecticut up 21-20 at the half, and uh, you know we were all watching that game from you know different places around the country. But people talking on on Twitter, and, and on the boards about this game being a major upset, and and that sort of set the tone for the rest of Saturday because there were there were quite a few games, um, you know, even the ones where the where they, that weren't upsets. You know, you had the Allegheny upset over Wabash, but you also had um, I thought Rowan and Baldwin Wallace were two teams that survived against teams they should have beaten. Much, much uh, more handily, and and they didn't. And in this case, uh, I, I think it tells us a little bit about the direction Western Connecticut State is heading.
0: You know, from seeing your comments and uh, and such on Twitter about the Louisiana College Wesley game, I don't get the impression that you feel that way about that game. I, I get the impression that you don't feel that uh, that Wesley should have won by more, but perhaps that uh, Louisiana College should have won that game last night.
1: Yeah, Wesley was fortunate to win that game. And, and there was a point in the game when Louisiana College, uh, in the third quarter, they had gotten the ball twice. They had two long drives deep into Wesley territory uh, and came away with only three points. And I thought that was, uh, you know, at the time, I, I made the comment, I think, on Twitter, and some of the the, the guys who follow from uh, from LC kind of echoed the same sentiment where, you know, you got to have points out of those drives. You definitely can't um, go deep on, on a, you know, top five, top 10 team, get in deep in the territory and, and not uh, come away with points. And they let Wesley hang close. It was 22-14. And then Wesley got the ball. And there was a sort of a point where I, I felt like Wesley was going to drive down and score, get the two point conversion and make this a tie game only because, you know, it, it was the last game of the night and, and it was all eyes on us type of game. And uh, you kind of knew. That that it was going to be a tight finish, and it ended up being that way. But Louisiana College had the ball, you know, in the final minutes. Threw an interception. Wesley drove down, and and, uh, and kicked the game-winning field goal. And for th- there was a point in that third and fourth quarter where I'm watching Wesley, and I'm thinking, this is not the same team without uh, Shane McSweeney. You know, they their their offense is different. There, there were times last year. When, when they had McSweeney, when they had, you know, the passing game wasn't working, you know, the running game wasn't working, and they would just dial up a play for for Shane. And because he was such a um, multi-talented player, he could throw the ball, but he could run with it too. You know, they could get sometimes 10 yards on a designed run up the middle with him, you know, or, or you know, read option or or some of the, um, you know, plays they called for him. They don't have that anymore. And, and Pat, you and I are, were a little guilty of assuming that because, Justin Sardella had had a, had a good season for Wesley before that they would just be able to switch right back into that mode with him, and um, he he looks like uh, that he's missed a season, you know, and he's still getting his his rhythm back. And uh, there were there were some times late in that game where they they drew up some nice plays on the, on that final drive. They really did. They they w- went short passes to uh, Steve Kadosu, and then uh, screen screen pass to Asghar Jihad got them inside. Uh, in maybe a 10 or 15, and, and then help set up the field goal. And it, it wasn't, you know, Wesley always has those kicker issues. Um, you know, for an elite team, it, it, it's tough for them to to sometimes depend on field goals. But they they got one from uh, from Dan Tryon that won the game. I, I think they I don't want to say they got away with one because Wesley earned the win. But at the same time, Louisiana College, I thought they probably felt like. They were the stronger team that day. They certainly played well enough to win if they would have gotten points out of some of those drives in the second half. You know, Ryan Montague, the running back, looked great. They, they speed-wise, they match up with Wesley. Physically, they matched up. And uh, that that's an LC team that's going to probably, you know, win at least eight games. But they, they I think they had to have that game in, in a lot of ways. They, you know, the reason you take that game is is to to push your program to the next level, and it's frustrating for them, I imagine, because they they've you know been a seven and three team for four consecutive years now. Um, they've been trying to get over that hump and get into the playoffs, and this is a setback for them. But that's why you take the Wesley game, you know, you you want to have that opportunity to beat a nationally ranked team, and and it paid off for them in this in the top 25. It, it's going to pay off for them. In terms of learning how to, to win, finish games, learning how to beat elite teams. Um, but but right now, it probably hurts.
0: Yeah, you you, you alluded to that, it, but it's the second week in a row, of course, that a team has lost a close game at home and actually moved up in our poll. And uh, Louisiana College uh, broke into the top 25 uh, that was released on Sunday night. Um, you know, Keith, you talked about uh, Sodler having played two years ago and having you know, that experience to draw on, but not necessarily having that kind of success. One of the things I wanted to point out for, for listeners who, who, who probably don't know this is that in order for Sadler to play this year uh, when he uh, did not get the starting quarterback job in 2011, uh, you know, there's no redshirting in division three anymore. He had to sit out the entire year. So he did not practice uh, for the, for the rest of the season last year. There's uh, there's certainly something, uh, something there to, uh, to consider. Um, and again, just the, you know, is a was a great quarterback in his own right in uh, in 2010. But, you know, Shane McSweeney was just a, a guy who was on a completely different level. And similarly, I think we have to talk about the same sort of thing with uh, Wisconsin Whitewater and Lee Brecky, who comes back after uh, having that uh, start, uh, that run of starts in the uh, 2010 playoffs and then comes back this year uh, after Matt Blanchard graduates and, uh, you know, isn't was never, you know, he was never the reason why Whitewater won in 2010. That was really a Lavelle Coppage based offense, and Brecky was the guy who who managed it and and didn't make too many mistakes. And now, you know, with the with the running back changeover, he's had to take more of that on his shoulders. We heard uh, Lance Leipold talk about this a little bit last week, but I think uh, Brecky's a lot like uh, Sodeller in that in in that instance. He's maybe not quite. Uh, we may have expected too much of them.
1: And and that happens with these teams that have been so good for so long. We set the bar so high. You know, just just from outside the program, from far away, we're looking at, uh, you know, they have experience back, so they're going to be good again. And you kind of automatically assume that, and that's not always the case. You know, guys have different styles of play. Matt Blanchard, you know, was not only a super talented quarterback but he's a he's a big guy he had a big arm uh at least from you know the games i saw him play he looked like he had a big arm he um you know he was he was tough and you don't you can't just transfer that necessarily to to one to a different quarterback because the guy's played before and and, and pat you and I may be a little guilty of of again taking the the perfectly logical idea that because a guy has experience that he should be pretty good. But it doesn't always pan out that way. And I, I don't think, you know, Justin Justin and Lee Brecky probably are pretty good right now. But it, it, they, they're not Matt Blanchard good. They're not uh, Shane McSweeney good. And, and maybe they will be by the end of the season. You know, maybe they'll turn this thing around. But there, there's also – there's just uh, they're, they're different different styles of offense, different styles of quarterbacking and, and you know, things – if we haven't learned anything or if we have learned anything o- over the last couple of weeks with Whitewater losing and, uh, and you know, Wesley struggling, you know, to pull that pull that one out on Saturday, it's that just, you know, everything we know to be true in Division three um, doesn't always hold the next week. And, and we sometimes get lulled to sleep because the same teams have success over and over again. But you still have to. You know, play that week's game with with th- that week's team. With this, you have to play this year's schedule with this year's team, and, uh, and and still win the games. You know, you don't just win them because you've been good before in the past, because you come from a program with a big name.
0: Well, and here's the reason why I think that uh, you know you give these teams a little bit of a you know a, a little bit of a boost for having these guys back is because you know for the most part, having a guy who's started an entire season or even just five, you know, pretty pressure, pressure-packed pressure playoff games uh, is better than having a guy who doesn't have any experience in that type of situation. Uh, but then again, you could take that and completely turn it on its head when you look at Mount Union, who's, you know, uh, not gone back to the guy who's been the starter there over the regular season for the last couple of years. And Neil Siemens basically on the bench, and Kevin Burke has uh, quarterbacked them to this fantastic start they've had
1: and you know that speaks to the depth in, in the mountain union program but it, it supports the same point that we've been making just because a guy has experience neil seaman has played off and on over the years for mountain union but if he's if you have kevin burke you know if you have roman namdar who's who's been coming off the bench now and, and who's pushing those guys for for snaps at quarterback you you don't necessarily play the guy with the most experience if he's not the guy who gives you the best chance to win on saturday and and experience is is definitely better than inexperience but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily always translate to to playing at, at a super elite level and and that's what we've come to expect from the quarterback at wesley whitewater mountain union that we we expect the guy to play to play super well and you know um justin sawer threw for over three thousand yards a couple of years ago but he, he 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 just i don't know he he didn't I didn't have that same confidence when I'm watching Wesley. Uh, you know, I, like I said, I thought I I felt strongly about that they were going to go down and, and tie the score when it was 22-14 in that game. But I didn't know they were going to be able to pull it out. Uh, impressive. Sodaleir was impressive on that last drive, but he didn't he didn't um, you know take over the game the way Shane McSweeney does. He he was able to manage it, get them down there, get Wesley to kick a field goal, and get out of there with a victory. And uh, that says a lot about him. It, it, certainly not a knock, but it means that you know. We can't expect necessarily that that level of talent out of a guy that's uh that that, that doesn't have the same skill set as a uh, Shane McSweeney does, or you know Matt Blanchard is not Lee Brecky, and and that's something that we're sometimes guilty of assuming that because a guy has played behind another guy and he's coached in the same offense that he's going to be able to do the same things.
0: In Mountain Union's fifty-two nothing win against Marietta on Saturday night. Uh, Burke was 8 of 14, passing for 163 yards and three scores and ran for another 44 yards. Uh, Namdar, who came in in the uh, second half when the game was out of reach, 4 of 5, passing for 74 yards and a score himself. But, the you know, I mean, obviously Marietta is not, you know, not a world beater and probably not going to finish in the top half of the uh, OAC. But uh, defensively, Mountain Union held those guys to 90 yards on 57 plays. Uh, you don't have to be able to do the math to realize that uh, that that's not gonna that's not gonna win you a whole lot of games or score you a whole lot of points. That was a a pretty impressive performance on both sides of the ball for the Purple Raiders.
1: And, and that's sort of the the hallmark of Mountain Union teams. No matter what they're doing on offense, whether they have the star players or they don't have the star players, they've been consistently good on defense for years. And we talk about really consistently great in, in terms of. Um, you know, touchdowns aren't really scored against them until late in the game, uh, until it's out of reach. Um, so even when they're playing those teams, they don't really have those. Mountain Union, you don't ever see them have that lapse in you know, middle of the season. I mean, if they have a close game, it's against the Ohio Northern on Baldwin Wallace. They don't really, you don't ever see them stumble against the Mariettas and the Muskingums. They play that game, uh, you know, really just as hard. I, I think the hallmarks of the great Mountain Union teams are, are great defense and a quarterback who, you know, again, regardless of the skill set, a quarterback who is efficient, doesn't throw turnovers, you know, high completion percentage. I mean, to be honest, uh, eight of 14 for Kevin Burke is, uh, you know, not again, not, um, mind blowing numbers, but, um, no interceptions, you know, you almost never see mountain union quarterbacks get sacked a whole lot. And remember, remember last, was it last year or the year before when they had the, uh, they had a line where they you know i think it was last year and they were guys were actually getting pressure on mountain union quarterbacks and it was like something we'd never seen before um you know as long as burke has has time as long as a mountain union quarterback has time to throw he's usually going to make pretty good decisions and uh, and not have turnovers and uh, right now burke fits that mold for them and mountain union is going to be rolling because they don't really play a tough game you know with the way ohio northern has started this season they don't play a tough game until or they don't play a team with a winning record let's phrase it that way until october 20th when they go to Otterbine, which is 3-0 and then they'll finish with uh, heidelberg Baldwin wallace and john carroll but their, their next few games you know they should be you know as the number one team in the country they, they, the score should be similar to the past few games uh they got ohio northern wilmington capital before they play otterbein and uh you know right now Mount Union's given up seven points on the season and their offensive output is 45, 57 and uh, 52.
0: Uh, I just want to briefly touch on Mary Harden Baylor beating Trinity on Saturday, 49, 28. Uh, well, Daryl Bailey fall- falls in that mold, I think, you know, of the a, of a multi-talented quarterback, maybe not quite as good at either uh, phase of the game as maybe Shane McSweeney was, or, you know, certainly a different style runner than McSweeney was, but, um, yeah, they did that, and they also did that without Darius Wilson, the guy who's been the kind of one of their workhorse running backs over the first, uh, well, first few weeks of this season, and of course previous games as well.
1: Yeah, and and I think this UMHB um, Trinity game, if Trinity hadn't lost the the week before at Solros Ross, it would have been you know right up there on the marquee with with Wesley and um, Louisiana College as the game of the week. Would have been between two ranked teams, possibly you know top ten teams, um, playoff teams from last season. This was a game that went from being. One we really, really wanted to watch to one that kind of got buried uh, on Saturday on a day when there weren't a lot of uh you know huge games to pay attention to uh, I think it's it it says a lot about the the Mary Harden Baylor defense and uh, and La Bailey um, you know for them to be able to to go without the guy who at least from a national perspective is their best player. For, for Darius Wilson to not play and for Mary Harden Baylor to basically roll a playoff team from last season forty nine twenty eight never had any trouble with them. It was forty two seven at the half um that says a lot about about uh you know Ladaro Bailey and the rest of that team
0: How about uh the allegheny Wabash game? This is a game that um you know just kind of puzzled me for most of the afternoon i i I've seen Allegheny play Wabash decently, but that was at home I didn't really uh, give Allegheny a whole lot of um uh a whole lot of chance going, you know, all the way across Ohio and then halfway into Indiana and then uh giving Wabash a game. You know, the one thing is you know, talking about the wind and I know that pretty much I think all the points were scored with the wind uh at the offense's back. Apparently it was a it was a pretty brutal game in terms of uh in terms of the elements in that sense, but I just I struggle to think of, or you know, to kind of wrap my brain around what happened to Wabash this afternoon on Saturday.
1: Well, you know, when you watch a top team, a top 10 or a top 20 team, you know, play one of the kind of good teams from its conference, um, or, or, you know, the way I was thinking in, in that Wesley Louisiana College game, even when it's a good game at halftime, you know, the Rowan-WestCon game was, was this way, you sort of wait for the the better team to start taking over at some point in that game, and that moment really never came in the Wabash game. It was 17-10 in the third. Allegheny put together a, uh, a little bit of a touchdown drive in the in midway through the fourth, tie the game at 17, and, and Wabash had a couple possessions after that. And you kind of just wait for you know the the dominant team to dominate to to put the other team away. Sometimes you know even if you're the better team, you get into a scrap and you just want to get out of there with the win, the way Wesley did you know the way Rowan did you just forget about putting up big numbers or whatever you just got to get this you know get this game won and that moment never really came um for Wabash the moment really happened for for Allegheny um you know they scored first in overtime and then and then held if i remember correctly and um yep. that's a you know wind can be a big big factor but they, they when a team you know ha- has to have that big moment, has to have that big drive and, and put one put it together and, and and you know sort of define itself. those are the, those are the defining moments and and when a team then has that opportunity uh, like Wabash did on, on Saturday, you know in in the fourth quarter of that game and, and no moment ever comes it, uh, it does make us wonder a little bit about what kind of team they're going to be this season.
0: Key for Allegheny, I think is the uh, was the decision at halftime to kick off again and ensure that they got the wind in the fourth quarter. So basically Allegheny kicked off at the opening kickoff and then kicked off to start the second half, but they had the wind at their back in the uh, in the fourth quarter. That gave them the opportunity, I guess, or helped them get the opportunity to tie the game and send it into uh, overtime where it was a 28-yard field goal that was good for Allegheny, and then Wabash got just a few yards on its offensive set and missed from 38. Uh, hey. It was a little bit of
1: an ugly game all around, too, Pat. Allegheny was 5-19 and 19 on third down. Wabash 3-16. You know, both teams punted nine times. So they definitely did struggle you know, with the win. You know, nobody, you mentioned it, Pat, nobody scored when they didn't have the win at their back. It was Allegheny's, you know, 10 nothing in the first quarter. Then it was 10 nothing Wabash's way. Wabash scored a touchdown in the third. Then uh, Allegheny scored in the fourth quarter. But, but each team, the other team with the, uh, uh, that was going into the win... Uh, none of them ever ever scored. So uh those you know, those are situations you play under and, and you the great teams figure out a way to uh you know, if something is taken away, if you're a passing team and, and and your passing is taken away, you figure out, you know, ways to 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 still throw the ball or still get the ball into your playmakers' hands without having to throw into the wind, whether it's screens or reverses or something like that. You know, great teams and, and great offensive minds, um, you know, figure out ways to get around that stuff.
0: Let's talk about some of the teams that uh played their way into the top 25 on Saturday. I think the one that had obviously the most uh, direct cause and effect between their game on Saturday and, and their spot in the poll is Huntington, in which they go to Hampton-Sydney uh, win and more or less take over their spot in the uh, in the ranking. I know when I was doing my poll, it was pretty easy. I had Hampton-Sydney you know, down in the 20 to 25 range. It's like, well, I just knock Hampton-Sydney out and put Huntingdon right in its spot, and that's pretty much almost where they ended up.
1: And uh, that's almost exactly how I did it too, Pat. And you know sometimes you vote and, and you just you know team loses you you take them out and you move bump everybody up one. But the way we like to do it a lot of times is really give it some thought. And it, if Huntingdon is the team that we thought Hampton Sydney was, you know, and for them they, it was a three point win, so they're about equal teams. But you know hum- Huntingdon went to Hampton Sydney, which is you know one of the national attendance leaders. It's not an easy place to play. You know, it's uh, the, the the stadium is set. First of all, it's way out in the country. It's set in a bowl. You know, they, they get pretty rowdy out there. So for, for Huntington to go there and win, you know, I, I think they more than deserve to, to flip spots with, uh, with Hampton-Sydney. And uh, I went from voting for, for, for the Tigers in the teens to, uh, you know, to not voting for them at all and then, and then putting Huntington in the teens. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a big deal for them. And the, the story of this game coming in was Huntington really hadn't played any defense all season and Hampton Sydney, you know, which is kind of a team built very similarly to Huntington to where, you know, both these teams can just put points on the board and they would, they would both win for years. Now, they've both been able to win shootouts and Hampton Sydney had started to play good defense at the beginning of the season. And, uh, and Huntington really hadn't played any, they were still winning shootouts. And so for them to go, uh, you know, to Hampton Sydney and win a 24, 21 game told, told me that, that Huntington maybe has a, a well-rounded team and an improving defense and that uh, they, they're, you know, deserving of being in the top 25.
0: I could tell you, Hampton-Sydney uh, during the offseason was really, really excited about the prospect of getting this guy, uh, Nash Nance, who's a transfer from the University of Tennessee, uh, to come in and be their quarterback. Um, and, you know, he's I, I think that, you know, people just kind of assume that if you're at a Division One school, and especially if you're at a, a – you know, a, a, a team in a BCS conference. But you can come down to Division three and just automatically walk through. And I, I just, you know, we've seen it time and time again where that hasn't been the case. Uh, and, and Nance was 20-37 on, uh, on Saturday for 227 yards. Um, you know, I just, uh, I, I wonder if, you know, they uh, expect more of him than he's uh, actually going to be able to deliver, at least early in the season.
1: Well, Pat, you know, you, you do, you touch on a couple of things and it maybe even as a small tie to what we talked about earlier with, with you know, just assuming because a guy has an experience, has experience that he'll be good. Uh, you know, Nashnan's played for Tennessee, but did he, you know, how much has he played? How, how much has he played in, in the Tigers offense? You know, he, he had some pretty, uh, pretty good game. I think he had a five touchdown game uh, earlier in the season, but, you know, beating Averett and, and beating Huntingdon. Is two different things at at this point, and uh, you know maybe you don't just plug and play guys. you know just because a guy has, has has the talent to be there doesn't necessarily mean he'll succeed in the offense at this point early in the season where he hasn't had but you know uh, you know several weeks to practice it um you know we, we' were talking about guys like LaDarrell Bailey for Mary Harden Baylor who's in his fourth year running the Mary Harden Baylor offense he was 14 or 16 on Saturday you know th- th- there's a big difference between a guy with four years of starting playing experience and guys who have the talent um but but uh, you know have either you know missed a season for for the reasons that we talked about earlier or uh, are doing it because they're transferring. It, it just doesn't come automatically. And I, and I think sometimes we take that for granted because guys have the talent or they have the name or they've done it. you know they've played before, but they but but it doesn't necessarily always mean that um, that it's going to happen again.
0: Talking about Huntington, uh, you know, they're one of the teams that does not have a, an automatic bid to play for. So they're in that pool B mix, the uh, teams that the one playoff spot that is set aside guaranteed. Four teams that are not in a automatic qualifying conference. Uh, Huntington is 3-1. and one. They've already lost to Birmingham Southern, which is another key Pool B contender. Uh, and they have Wesley coming to their place later on in the season. Uh, Huntington plays Ave Maria, which is a second-year program, uh, coming up next week. Then they go to Millsaps, and then they have two weeks off, and then they host Wesley. Well,
1: two weeks off is, is strange, but... You know that Wesley Huntington game is going to be a big one because, as you mentioned, Pat, Pool B only one bid set aside for for those teams and and uh, each Huntington and uh, and Wesley already has a loss, so somebody's going to have two losses at, at the uh, at the end of that game on um, on October 27th. It's at Huntington, and you know, Wesley's got to go down to Alabama. Um, and, and for Wesley, I think it's it's almost more important, and that made that that fourth quarter. Uh, drive where they kick the field goal. You know, even more important for Wesley to to beat Louisiana College. Wesley only has uh, six D three games on his schedule, and they did they did a really aggressive job of scheduling D three teams that are are going to be good this season, and not only give Wesley a test. So when they get in the playoffs, if they get in the playoffs, they'll be prepared. But but um, they schedule teams that are going to give them a high strength to schedule. You know, Wesley, when you take away the 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 three non-D3 teams they had to play because they're not in a conference and they had to fill out their schedule somehow. They may have the highest strength of schedule when this is all said and done because they they played East Texas Baptist and then Salisbury, Mary Harden, Baylor, Louisiana College. They have uh, Birmingham Southern on uh, October 6th and then they'll have Huntingdon on uh, on October 27th. Right now, uh, you know Birmingham Southern is the team that beat Huntingdon. Huntingdon's going to be a big Birmingham Southern fan um, for, for the rest of the way. Um, no, actually I take that back because Birmingham Southern is going to be in the same pool with them, right? They're all going to be in pool B.
0: <laughs> well, and yeah, these and those three teams all play each other. So there's going to be two losses, at least guaranteed in that group at the end of the season when it's all said and done And Birmingham Southern this past week, um, you know, just puzzled me. It seemed like they really struggled, uh, to win at Rhodes and I would not have expected that
1: hey, yeah, put that in the in the group with uh, with Rowan and Baldwin Wallace teams that we have in the top 25. And uh, you know maybe that's the theme of, of this week's podcast is sometimes we assume because things, happen, have happened this way many times in the past, that they'll happen this way. Again, Birmingham Southern should beat Rhodes, you know, pretty easily. But sometimes, you know, the, the other team gives a good effort or sometimes, uh, you know, things don't come easily. It's a tough day. You got the unexpected factors like the wind in the Wabash game that, that play into it. You know, for, for Birmingham Southern, they, they were um, outgained by Rhodes, 260 to 235. Uh, they only had 10 first downs on the day. You know, it wasn't Birmingham Southern's best day. They only had the ball for, you know, 19 minutes, 39 seconds. You know, for them to, to pull out a win, uh, you know, 16-2 victory, they they certainly show that they have the defense, you know, to, to hang on in a game like that. And sometimes, like I was saying earlier, Pat, these games turn into scrums and, and you, just want, you just want to get out of there with the W. And uh, for Birmingham Southern, for Baldwin Wallace, for Rowan, uh, you know Wesley, you could put in that group, even though Wesley played a you know a, a marquee team. Um, sometimes that, if that's all you can do to get out of there with the win, it's certainly better than than being stuck where Wabash and Thomas More and some of the other teams uh, that had tough games on Saturday were, were stuck in getting you know not being able to pull out the win.
0: I took your theme, uh, I ran it through the marketing department, and to try to slim it down. And what they came back with was past performance is not indicative of future results. Do you think that works as a theme for the podcast?
1: It works for me. I like it.
0: Moving on, uh, let's talk about um, whether this performance on Saturday is going to uh, affect future results for Widener. Widener wins 90 to nothing over Wilkes. This is, you know, there are teams, or at least there, yeah, I think there's a couple teams in the MAC that you could envision perhaps losing to Widener by a score of 90 to nothing. Uh, Misericordia, who's played football for a grand total of about five weeks in its history. Uh, And maybe FDU Florham, who uh, really struggled this year and, you know, could have lost by 90 to Delaware Valley on Saturday, except that Delaware Valley called off the dogs a heck of a lot earlier than than Widener appeared to. Um, You know, this is one of those games that uh, was a lot of buzz on Twitter and uh, people were – Uh, We're commenting on our uh, on our Facebook page about it as well. Uh, What's your take on scoring 90 points on offense, for example?
1: Well, I've never been a a big um, running up the score guy. I mean, uh, not I don't get as bent out of shape about it as some people do. I'm more in the camp of you know if if you want to if you don't want us to score so much, you know, get better. And, and I know that's that's oversimplifying it as well. You know, I don't think teams should be, um, you know, deliberately trying to run up the score on other teams and and you know throwing the ball, uh, you know, when they're up by fifty or sixty. You know, you don't show show people up like that. But if, if you're just running running plays and they can't tackle you, or you know, if you pick up a fumble return and return it eight yards for a touchdown like Widener did earlier in the fourth quarter in uh, against Wilkes, you know. I I can't fault them for that. Um, You know, Widener has a pretty good backup quarterback in Tevin Campbell. Um, You know, he he scored the last touchdown that that made it 90. Um, But, you know, it was a three-play, 31-yard drive. So, so, yeah, you get a turnover uh, at that point in the game, and, you know, you can't help but score sometimes. Uh, You know, we've seen uh, Larry Karras do this at Mount Union where his teams will get inside the five-yard line, line up, and kick a field goal. Uh, on second down, so as not to run up the score, and I always felt like that was almost just as embarrassing because you know you're, you're almost broadcasting at that point that we're we knew we'd score a touchdown on you, so we're we'll just kick a field goal. We're we're just trying to be nice, you know. Um, I feel like the twos get in the game; they got to play hard, and you otherwise you're wasting everybody's time. And You know, at least get the give the the, the guys who are playing a, a good experience. But uh, you know, the thing that that stood out to me about about this is that weiner's first three games it, it really wasn't a shock that they won big you know um misericordia brand new uh you know western connecticut had been uh you know 0 and ten for two years in a row kings had been one and nine for two years in a row so weiner putting up huge numbers against all them not that much of a surprise but wilks is is a legitimate you know middle middle of the pack mac program um down a little bit in the in past few years but it you only have to go back to 2006. Wilkes was 10 and 0. They were in the playoffs. Uh, they were the one seed in the East, if I remember correctly, and and, and beat Washington and Lee 42 to nothing. I may be mixing my years up because there was also a year where Wilkes played Rowan. Uh, maybe that's the same year, but in the second round. But regardless, the point is, this wasn't misericordia that that Widener hung 90 on. This is this is Wilkes. You know, a legitimate, you know, middle of the pack, decent conference program. Same coach that was there. Uh, and, and Frank up that that took them to the playoffs, and you know part of you has to wonder what the heck ha- happened to wilkes um and, and part of me says, all right, Widener's outscored their early opponents, first four opponents two hundred and sixty one to twenty three but they haven't really told us anything about how good they can be in the context of top twenty five playoffs go you know that, that type of thing because they, they've got they' gotta beat del Val still. They got to play like Light, like still. They got to play Albright, you know, and and they got to play Lebanon Valley. And until we see these, you know, why putting up 40 and 50 points in those games, we don't really know if this is even a MA- a MAC championship team, much less a team that's going to win in the playoffs. Um, and you know, just getting back to the very the answer of uh, of the question that you ask, the score itself doesn't bother me. I think you know, after 50, it's kind of all blur.
0: If you have an opinion, you can uh, vote on the reader poll on the front page of d3football.com. It, we are 1,800 votes in, and the way it's breaking down is about 60% of people think that uh, at some point uh, it's it's too many. 69 points or above. 25% of people uh, fall out at 25 uh, or at 69 points, then 15%. Of people think 76 is too much, and then 7% at 83, and and 12% at 90. Just for the historical perspective on 90, I think uh, longtime fans of Division Three will remember uh, that Rockford uh, beat Trinity Bible by the score of 105 to nothing in week one of 2003. That was the uh, that it was, and of course it still is the Division Three uh, single game scoring record. Uh, of the teams that I mentioned, where I thought that uh, Widener could ha- hang 90 on some of those teams in the MAC. I did not mention Stevenson, and, and Stevenson in, in just its second year as a program has uh, has been pretty competitive again, uh, as they were last year. And they, uh, for example, they lost at Albright by seven. Uh, that game went into overtime. They lost to Lebanon Valley on Saturday by three. You know, Stevenson is uh, is is 0 and four. But uh, they're pretty decent, and I think they're going to knock somebody off in this league before the season's over, if not a couple teams.
1: Yeah, I mean, I wrote about them at the beginning of last season when they, uh, you know, Rico Wallace scored five touchdowns against them for Shenandoah, but they, you know, they, they put some points on the board in that game. And Paul Barnes said, these guys are going to beat somebody this year. You know, it's not going to take them two or three years to get their first win. <laughs> no, it like did like, like it did with, you know, St. Vincent and some of those other schools. And you know, they won two games last year, uh, you know, beating Christopher Newport, too, which was, you know, again, a, a very, you know, a, a strong team. You don't expect, uh, you know, sometimes you expect the wins to come over against another team that's struggling. But uh, Stevenson... Now, you know, having won two games last year, uh, I'm sure they envision themselves maybe getting a 500 this year. And so the 0-4 start is probably pretty, pretty disappointing. You know, we we, we look at the, the scores getting tighter as a sign of progress, but I, I'm, I can almost guarantee you that they're not happy with it. Um, you, you know, you want to start, if they're 2-8 if they're and eight again, I don't know if they'll feel like this, this year was progress but sometimes you can't get caught up in just the numbers themselves you know two you know if you were a lot better than you were the year before and you had the same record you know sometimes it happens that way same thing with these big numbers pat when, when teams you know you look at that Widener box score and, and you say well, they threw two 60yard touchdown passes in the third quarter what are they doing throwing when they are they're already up 49 56 nothing. You know, we don't we don't know unless you were there whether those are short screen passes that turn into long passes, or Widener was just being jerks about it and and you know throwing fly patterns. Uh, Franklin scored seventy on Saturday. Oshkosh scored seventy. Delval, you know, you mentioned that game against Florham. They won by sixty. They won sixty three to three. So you know, it, Del Widener wasn't the only team that put up you know silly numbers on Saturday. And and when you look at some of the other teams who struggled, you know, um, he. Sometimes the, the the team putting up numbers, having a great day, um, you know, they'll take it.
0: Oshkosh, you could kind of, kind of, almost couldn't see that game going any other way. This is a team who's a you know a, a contender for the championship in the in the WIAC against a team that's you know struggling to stay out of the bottom of the MIAA.
1: Yeah, and, and, and Alma just restarted uh, with with a brand new head coach uh, in Greg Posadna. I'm sure I'm saying his name wrong. Um, but, you know, he's he's a coach who's had experience in taking a team to the playoffs in Division 3, did it with Defiance. And, uh, you know, I almost had, um, wasn't that long ago they had a Gallardi Trophy winner. But it, um, it you know, it takes time to sometimes build these things uh, from scratch. And uh, that was a kind of a poor matchup from the beginning, like you said, Pat, you know, uh, Alma River Falls maybe is is a good matchup, but Oshkosh you know, is a team that that is a team that scheduled Mount Union and Whitewater last year and, and didn't get embarrassed by either of them. You know, so it, it's just a complete different level of play. And uh, Oshkosh, I think, and Platteville are going to make the Wyac race interesting this season.
0: One other thing for fans to keep in mind when teams are going on long trips like that, you're not bringing. You know, your entire roster, you can't exactly empty the bench down to your third string in a lot of cases, because in a lot of cases, your third string and certainly your fours, if you have them, are, are back at home listening to the game on the radio or watching it on the Internet. They are not there in order to uh, uh, keep your, your your team from being able to run up the score. Obviously, it's a lot different in home games. Um one of the other topics of discussion over the weekend and I think probably going to be, a, a, people are going to be talking about this every time Salve Regina plays. They are ten and 0, 10 and zero. They've, they're four and zero this season. They've won ten consecutive games, uh, so they have the uh, longest active winning streak in Division Three right now. Um, and, and we go through this, and we went through this with Curry, for example. You know, they would go ten and zero and not break into the top twenty-five, and then, you know, would would lose the game in the playoffs. Sometimes competitively, sometimes not. Uh, they did eventually win a playoff game, and that got them into a final top 25. But um, I went through this whole rundown of, you know, how far it is for uh, from the NEFC to the top 25. And I'm going to repeating going to be repeating some topics of discussion that Keith and I have mentioned on this podcast before. Uh, for example, you know, just as another reminder, Division three is twice as big basically as Division one FBS. So in order to get into the top 25, uh, you you basically have to be twice as good, in a sense. You have to be in the, uh, you know, the 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 90th percentile, as opposed to in the. Yeah, I can't do math because it's uh, it's midnight. Let's be honest with you. Instead of like the, I think the 75th percentile or whatever it takes to be in the top 25 out of 130 or 125 Division I FBS programs. Um, you know, uh, the NEFC, I think, two and 14 in their. Uh, in the playoffs, since they got an automatic bid in that league, um, and Salve Regina right now is the only team that's really trying to schedule aggressively in in terms of non-conference games. Um, you know, there's 15 other teams in this league. Uh, you know, technically they have two or three non-conference games to play with, but in a lot of cases, teams choose to schedule nine games instead of 10. Uh, they often play their voluntary non-conference games against other members of their conference teams from that other uh from the other division. So if you look through you know there are uh there are three teams in this league that don't play anybody who's uh not a member of the NEFC. Um there are a total of six non-conference games uh played by this league that aren't against members of the ECFC and, and the ECFC at least comes into the season as the worst conference in Division III football. Uh, I look forward to Keith's column to see if there's a chance that they uh, pull themselves out of the basement because they've had a decent year by their standards, and maybe they pass the UMAC, maybe they don't. But the point being in that is that Salve Regina has had two really nice non-conference wins, uh, both against teams that were in our preseason top 80. And then, you know, they have, uh, as a as a conference, they have played just one other non-conference game against a team in the top 100. Uh, when Bridgewater State beat Springfield at the beginning of the season, um, you know. Other than that, uh, you know they have, um, you know they have they have uh, a win. The conference has a win against Anna Maria. They have a win against Becker. They also have losses to Anna Maria and Becker as a league. Um, you know, this is just a a conference that, you know, you can't really prove anything in terms of the top 25. Um, by beating the teams in this conference, you really have to schedule outside of the conference. And since nobody else in the league schedules anywhere near the way Salve does, there's no way for a team such as Salve to get any more credit by beating any of these teams because those teams hadn't really proved anything.
1: Well, Pat, they can't get the credit right now right in on September 22nd, 23rd, you know. But there... Keep winning. That's the first thing, you know. Team people get so caught up in you know, give us some respect right now. Well, you know, the respect may not be there in in the you know fourth week of September. But give it some time. It doesn't matter who's who's in the top twenty five in the fourth week of September, except in the fourth week of September. You know, three weeks from now, we're not going to remember who was in who was ranked this week. You know, the the key point that you hit on, Pat. There, there are literally more conferences than there are top 25 spots in Division Three. There's 27 conferences, 25 spots. So even if you took the best team in every conference and ranked them, you'd still have two teams that, that weren't ranked. And then when you start to factor in, you know, the, the, the fact that the YAC usually has two teams in the top 25, the OAC, the CCIW, Empire 8, uh, you know, MIAC usually has two teams in the top 25. Well, then, you know, how many top 25 spots are there available for teams even like Salve Regina, who's off to a 4-0 start, has played teams from the Liberty League and, and the NJAC and beaten them. You know, you just have to have the perspective that Division three is giant. It, is, it really is so big, and the a, and a top 25, by comparison, is so small. You know, we use that comparison. It's like the, it's like the D1, uh, you know, the FBS top 12 and a half. And so it's it, it, breaking into that top 25 is a real big deal in division three. And, and it's not necessarily going to come the first time your program has success and you win four games. You know, you got to you got to win nine or 10 games while other teams are falling off and losing around you. And then even when you get to that point, you know, you may have to win a couple playoff games for the respect to come next year. You know, the, the difference between the respect that Whitewater was afforded by losing a game and, and not dropping out of the top five. You know, it, it, it was Whitewater earned that respect, but so did everybody in the WIAC. You know, be, but every time that conference plays an out-of-conference game, you know, I mean, they, they win them at like an 80% clip. And so it, you you know that WIAC teams, you know, very, very rarely lose. And it's not hard to... to extrapolate the, the success of a conference to the success of individual teams and, and Salve probably doesn't feel like that's fair, but they have to remember uh, division three is giant. There were only four games into the season. This is the first time they've really had a a ton of success, you know, coming off the eight and three year last year, uh, six and two in in the division, just keep winning. you will get there. It happens. You know, other teams fall off, uh, you know, fall down, fall by the wayside and you move up the pecking order. It, you know be glad that we're talking about it at least at this point because um you know being in the top twenty five is nice, but the ultimate goal is to get into the playoffs and win in the playoffs
0: it give us some respect uh it, it, you know it, the things that people are de- are are expecting you know teams like huntingdon uh teams like louisiana college uh went out and earned that respect uh this past weekend, for example, they got into the top twenty five other teams that uh you know, are, are knocking on the door. How about a, a Heidelberg? How about a Waynesburg? I, I thought Waynesburg, for example, had a shot of jumping into the top 25. Uh, perhaps they needed one more team to get upset in order to to, to help make that leap. Uh, you know, Waynesburg, uh, you know, played the, the preseason conference favorite in its league and and, uh, and beat Thomas Moore. Uh, Heidelberg is kind of in a different situation right now. They are, uh, they are unbeaten, but they haven't played, you know, the, the strong teams in their conference yet.
1: Well, the, the couple things. you know, you mentioned Huntington, Louisiana College. Those teams have, have been on that trying to gain respect Arc for several years now and they're just now getting into the top 25. So you know, it, it takes time. Um, Waynesburg, right now don't you know, voters don't know what to make a, of, of the pack. Waynesburg's beaten Thomas Moore. We have Washington and Jefferson that probably should have beaten, uh, St. John Fisher. So, you know, those votes aren't really, really split because uh, Waynesburg has got 37 receiving votes. Uh, Washington Jefferson just has one. And uh, and Thomas Moore lost almost all of its, uh, you know, dropping out from the top 23 uh, from from being ranked 23. In fact, they, they didn't get any votes this, this week. Um, but you just you know you don't know who to go with in that conference, and so voters kind of hold back, and, and maybe in, in a couple of weeks they'll they'll a pack team will start to emerge that that they need to cast top twenty five votes for. That's another case of of uh, you know give us give us some more results, and then we'll figure out how to get you into the top twenty five. And then um, you mentioned Heidelberg. I, personally, I have them kind of where everyone else has ballman Wallace. I have them as the number two team in, in the OAC, ranked um, you know in, in the in the, between 10 and 20. I think, you know, so far they've looked great. Uh, they they haven't, they, they're they kind of in the boat with Mountain Union. You know, they they need to play, you know, Heidelberg needs to play Baldwin. Wallace Heidelberg needs to play Mountain Union and beat one of them. I think to to maybe get that respect from all the voters across the country. You know, it, it takes time. It, it's week four. And, and as much as we, you know, you can only make, what's in important right now you know so so we make a big deal out of the games that are happening this week but in the grand scheme of things we, when you look at you know the top 25 over the course of the season the, the movement will continue to happen every week and the and the the cream really does rise to the top by the end of the season when you have the uh you know the eight and two nine and one teams um versus the the teams that had that won a couple games early and then started to fall off you know we'll, we'll start to sort out the heidelbergs and the waynesburg and, and see who's really good
0: Heidelberg has the kind of similar backloading to its schedule that uh, Mount Union has. Uh, Heidelberg has played has played Alma. We already talked about uh, what kind of season they're having. Uh, they they really handled Ohio Northern. That's the jewel in their crown right now. And then they uh, crushed Wilmington, and, and Wilmington, of course, has uh, struggled for uh, some time now. Uh, then they play Marietta uh, this upcoming Saturday. Then they go to Capital, and then they finish with Otterbein, uh, Muskingum, and then Mount Union on the road, then home to John Carroll and Baldwin Wallace to end the season. And, you know, to be honest with you, uh, Heidelberg and Baldwin-Wallace, if they both went out, are in a collision course for what would probably be uh, an at-large bid elimination game there in Week 11.
1: Pat, though, we've done that for, for a few years now. Where you, We used to just assume the number two OAC team would make the playoffs, and now it's not even a, a safe assumption because the OAC has an, enough middle-of-the-pack teams that are good, and, and none of, not one of them has emerged since maybe the capital teams with Rocky Pantello in the middle of of, of the decade where they're a real real strong number two you know I, I, they started knocking each other off and so the, you know what we want to see this year is, is is there gonna be a ball in Wallace or Heidelberg uh, that you know that wins nine games and makes the playoffs
0: looking ahead to what is coming up in week five and we have some games that uh, are interesting we have some games that we didn't think were gonna be interesting but all of a sudden are um, You know, we uh, we start with Ohio Northern and Mount Union and and Ohio Northern is not uh, having the season it used to have. But, you know, just an annual reminder that the last team to beat Mount Union in the regular season was Ohio Northern. And that was in Alliance, Ohio, even though that was when, uh, you know, these players were in junior high. Uh, Mary Harden Baylor goes to Sul Ross State again. You know, one of those games that we didn't necessarily circle when the season started, but uh, Sul Ross made its presence known.
1: Yeah with that, that 62 point uh, output against Trinity, now all of a sudden, you know th- that's a game that uh, that you, you wonder is Mary Harden Baylor. No I I think, think um, UMHB' has been as dominant as, as anybody this season, but that's suddenly a, a lot more dangerous game, especially when you consider that it's at Sol Ross, you know for, for Mary Harden Baylor, it's not a, not as bad as road trip as it is for, for a lot of the other teams in the ASC, but that's just you know it, Alpine is way out there.
0: Keith, knowing his Texas geography. Hello, thank you, American Southwest Conference, and maybe thank you, uh, Ralph Turner as well. Uh, Linfield at Pacific Lutheran. This is uh, one of those games that helps decide that conference title.
1: Sure, you know, and it's not quite the game that it was in you know 2001, but it, it still can can be a uh, a, a trip a trip up a place where, you know, Linfield can stumble if they're, if they're not careful. I think Linfield's been uh, been pretty good this season. But uh, 65 points they've given up in their past two games. They've, they've got to get a little better on defense. I know one of those games was against Cal Lutheran, and uh, but, but they can't, you know, y- you play with fire when you give up that many points and, and you just end up pulling the games out.
0: 95% sure this is where I'm going to be spending my Saturday. Uh, Fourth-ranked Wisconsin Whitewater goes to 13th-ranked Wisconsin Platteville.
1: Have you ever had a reason to go to Platteville before?
0: You know, I went to Platteville at the beginning of last season, but it was uh, more of a uh, see two games in one day kind of thing. It was not, uh, I have to go to Platteville to see this game. I have to go to Platteville, however, to see this game.
1: Yeah, the, the, these guys are good all of a sudden. You know, these, the, this group... Um, you know, they, they dismantled uh, Wisconsin-Eau Claire on Thursday. You know, it was the only game going on at the time. So we so we uh, all got to pay attention to it, 49-19. Um, again, we're talking about maybe Platteville, maybe Oshkosh, um, giving Whitewater a run this season. Whitewater is is is, uh, is down a little bit. And, and that's how high Whitewater set the bar. You know, they won 34-7 uh, on Saturday, and it was kind of a ho-hum result. So uh, this one is going to be one of the ones we're looking at this week.
0: Not a battle of unbeatens as Carnegie Mellon goes to Wabash. And remember, uh, Carnegie Mellon really dismantled Allegheny a couple of weeks ago, and then Allegheny went to Wabash and won.
1: And, and that's what the one nice thing about having the the uh, North Coast and the UAA teams all you know play each other is that you do, you do get a lot of those triangular results and uh, we'll, we'll get to see well, was the game against Wabash a fluke was it the win I mean was Wabash losing Allegheny was it the fluke um, you know or and, and how does Wabash bounce back because I, I think the Little Giants had finally in my mind earned the respect you know with the with the their playoff run last season that they weren't just a good team from a not a good conference that they were really uh, a consistently elite team. And so this, uh, the loss to Allegheny threw that uh, out of whack a little bit.
0: Um, Salisbury at Buffalo state, this game was circled for about, you know, six or seven days.
1: Yeah. Now it's, you know, Buffalo state's just got to hang on and, 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 you know, prove it's a, it's a week in week out contender, you know, can they, can they be that team consistently? Um, You know, right now, Buffalo State is one touchdown drive away from being a team that we're not even talking about. You know, they've really just put, they played a great game defensively at Whitewater, but if they don't put that drive together, you know, we don't even really circle this Salisbury Buff State game at all. So uh, Salisbury's tough. And and Buff State doesn't have the um, experience seeing them like the the rest of the Empire Eight got last season. That triple option, it's not just, you Know that they run it efficiently, but they, they've they got um, you know, big linemen. They, I mean, Salisbury's goal is to recruit linemen that that you know, Towson and in the the one aa programs in Maryland where we recruit, they want to get those guys uh, or the guys who fall through the cracks there. Um, so they got big linemen uh, who, who get at, can get out and move. They have you know, backs after backs after backs coming at you, and then they run that triple option to perfection. It'll be it'll be uh tough for buffalo state if they gave up 400 yards rushing to Alfred to to do much better against Salisbury. Uh,
0: Bethel goes to Augsburg and it gives me a chance to talk about the game that I saw Saturday night uh, when uh, Augsburg went to Hamlin and I saw a uh, freshman quarterback Ayrton Scott for Augsburg uh, who is um, who's a, a, who impressed me especially for a freshman he's a guy who uh, is a is a good uh, he's got he's got good speed he can run uh, he can He's, he's shifty in the in the backfield uh, he has a, a decent uh, you know crisp short to medium passing game uh, and if he uh, over the course of his few years if he if he develops a, a better touch with the deep ball and a little bit uh, more control he's gonna make Augsburg really dangerous but just to run down Ayrton Scott's line 16 rushes for 163 yards and three touchdowns. And 14 of 20 passing for 175 yards and four touchdowns. And they face uh, they host Bethel uh, this upcoming Saturday. Uh, there's a key game in the CCIW when uh, North Central hosts Elmhurst. Keith, I'll give you a chance to continue to talk about Elmhurst.
1: Well, I, I just think this is the the coming out party for them. They, you know, if if maybe I put a little a little more pressure on them, than... then um. It is warranted at this point but they they have to if they don't beat north Central they have to play against them really well for them to, to, to deserve the spot uh that I've given them in the, in the in the rankings but I think that's Elmhurst is probably in the group with Louisiana College in the group that Center was previously in and Alfred had been in for so many years that the team that is always good always in the top half of the conference but just hasn't broken through to the playoffs yet and so this is a, a big chance for uh, for Scotty Williams and that team.
0: We begin to knock off perhaps the at large contenders in the OAC when Otterbein goes to Baldwin Wallace.
1: Yep, Otterbine kind of a surprising three and and0 coming off a three and seven season last year, so that'll that'll be one to watch.
0: And then uh, Brockport State has a has a chance to get back on its feet and they all they have to do is go to Rowan. No big deal.
1: Yeah, but the NJAC right now we we have no idea who what any team is going to do in any given week. You know, Kane, I thought their their backs were against the wall on Saturday and they had to beat Brockport State, and they did. And that sort of puts them right back in the mix. And then you also have uh, Montclair State playing Cortland State this weekend, which, you know, a year ago or two years ago, that was the marquee game in the NJAC. And now you just have this big jumble.
0: Uh Keith, we mentioned earlier, of course, that is going to Lebanon Valley. Any other games that you have your eye on for this upcoming week? Uh,
1: well, yeah, Widener plays Lebval and uh, Albright at DelVal this week in the MAC, so we'll start to get a little clarity there, but it could be that could be one of the the conferences where there's five teams in the mix if you throw light coming in there as well, um, you know, for for several weeks, you're going deep into October. Uh, a couple of nice games in New England, Trinity and Williams in the NESCAC, and uh, Salve and in uh, Western New England in uh, in, in the NFC. um, a couple of games that you know you may get may be interesting. Uh, Utica at Ithaca, um, you know, again in that Empire, 8, we're not, not quite sure what, what we're getting. Millsaps, um, is uh, is, is off to a surprising start, uh, that they're at center. Um, that may be the that's about the end of my list, but there, there's probably a couple more. Uh, oh, this is my one of my fun road trips uh, of the year. Willamette goes to Sewanee. That's Oregon to Tennessee. Willamettes look great so far, and uh, I don't know if that's going to be a great game, it'll certainly be a fun road trip for uh, for you know kids from Oregon to get on the plane and uh, and fly out to the deep south.
0: And that wraps up our Around the Nation podcast as uh, we wrap up week four of the 2012 Division Three football season. Don't forget to uh, stay tuned to the site. All week we have uh, D3 reports. Also, there you scroll down there at the bottom of uh, of this page. Also, a good number of um, Division three football game highlight packages in the the YouTube playlist at the bottom of this page. That'll be on the front page later on Monday, uh, and then on Tuesday morning we'll have the uh, play of the week. So if you have uh, a play to nominate for this week, make sure that we get a copy of it. Uh, either the file or a YouTube link by 5 p.m. Eastern time on uh, Monday. Uh, We'll name that uh, first thing Tuesday morning. We'll have Around the Region columns on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Keith's Around the Nation column on Thursday. And that is where we re-rank the conferences, so you will not want to miss that. He's Keith McMillan. I'm Pat Coleman. And that's the Around the Nation podcast.